0: Hello, and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even. You'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. So hello there lovers of the wonder wherever you may be wandering. This is David Pearl in London welcoming you to wonderful a podcast for people who are looking for inspiration on the go. How have you been? Where have you been? Have you been sticking to the high roads or taking the occasional side turning? Did you get lost? Did life uh, throw something interesting your way? I hope so. It's um, a beautiful morning in London. I'm in a a leafy uh, side street uh, with walkers and dogs and occasional birds. There you are. Keep it down boys and girls we're trying to do a podcast here um so i probably said this before but i always find the word career interesting because when it was first told when i first remember hearing about careers it was from our career officer mr pateman by the way if you're out there i salute you but mr pateman at my school gave you the sense that a career was something you chose and then unwinded in a straight line from here sort of to the horizon and you would follow it and success would, success would come naturally to you. Um, I think most of us uh, have experienced life differently and actually if you look the word career up in the dictionary, to career means to crash down a mountainside in a in an uncontrollable manner and that's how many of us I think feel our careers have been. They aren't straight, they, they wibble, they wobble, they careen from side to side as we feel our way through this complex world and that is completely true of today's guest, who is an arch-wibbler and wobbler, um, in search of truth, I think. Um, Dale Vince, what a man, what a guy. He's, um, he is somebody who has, I mean, he left school early, as you'll hear, was a traveler for 10 years, and then zigged or zagged and uh, set up a very successful um, alternative power company and, and more recently has added to his portfolio being the, uh, the owner of a vegan football club. Yes, 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 there's lots of stories to tell, but I do love the fact that Dale is somebody who's making a real impact on this knotty on this, on this and difficult uh, subject of, um, of energy and alternative energy. But he's done it by, he, he knows nature, he spent time wandering. Uh, he lived in a bender, and it's sort of from benders to boardroom, Although he points out that he doesn't actually have a boardroom at Ecotricity, which is his company. But I love the fact that he spans worlds that normally are seen in sort of antagonising each other. You know, the sort of the nature activists on one side and the, the business people on the other side. Dale's somebody who spans and bridges those worlds and is incredibly effective because of that fact. He's a really interesting man. I'm not sure I've ever met someone like him. Um, and it was really interesting to see how his mind works and also chip away a little bit at the um at the personal dale underneath the the uh, professional persona i think i think you'll enjoy him and, and for me anyway um i just think it's inspiring to hear somebody who is doing so much and makes me and us feel that we can also do a lot so without further ado let's drop into the conversation i had with the uh, fabulous Dale Vince.
1: I I lived on the road um, off grid in a kind of traveler community which I mean in the broader sense we were just similar people doing similar things and and that's all that connected us really. Uh, There's a lot of geography between us but there were a whole bunch of people on the road at that time doing the same kind of thing and and I spent 10 years um, living in a whole bunch of different trucks, buses, ambulances, a bender, which is like an English igloo. Uh, it's a tarpaulin covered uh, framework of hazel poles, uh, which is really fab. Um, my first winter living out of a house and on the road was, was just the most, uh, the biggest adventure, actually. Um, and yeah, I did end up going around Europe for a little bit, for about a year,
0: I think. Um, Do you remember who Dale was? when you were in the and what was exciting what was terrifying about that anything no. scary about it well no it was all a great
1: big adventure you know because it was like it was about taking responsibility for your own life taking it into your own hands responsibility yeah. for what you what you slept in what you sheltered from the weather in uh, and choosing where to go and what to do at every moment of your life which which i hadn't experienced before because you know, uh, from a very young age, we were all pushed into school, aren't we? And yeah. you know, that's about preparing us for the world of work with uniforms and rules and office hours and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, I broke free from that at about 15 and lived for a while, um, uh, amongst, uh, you know, other people with bikes. I was a biker, uh, and that was a kind of great period of, uh, freedom, looking for, looking for the things that I really wanted to do, you know, I just wanted to get my life back when I left school to, uh, and, and, you know, be in control of it myself, but then quickly found that without a job, it was very hard to live in a town, there's no way to afford bills and stuff. And so there was this kind of institutionalized kind of um, approach that that meant, you know, I I was going to live in poverty. Uh, If I didn't, if I didn't have a job in a town and and what I discovered was that I I didn't need to do that. And out on the road, I didn't need to have a job and a career and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I I could be, I could be free, you know, I mean, I had, and needed very little money to live, Mm. Um, Mm. you know, maybe two, three thousand pounds a year, something incredibly small. And, you know, I went around picking uh, vegetables in the winter in Wales. I ended Mm. up uh, running a tow truck and towing stuff and uh, doing all kinds of things to make a bit of money here and there. Mm. And uh, and in between all of that, you know, um, lived my life. But yeah, the most exciting thing was taking responsibility for the place I lived. And the bender was fantastic for that. You know, the winter in Wales in a bender. It's quite an experience.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. You've reminded me of a book I'm reading at the moment called The Book of Trespass by a guy called Nick Hayes. And it's a different kind of take on it, but he's challenging this notion of private land, boundaries, and Mm. sort of examining, going back and looking at quite how successfully the elites and ruling classes have have stolen common land away from, quotes, us. Um, And the freedom and the exhilaration of sort of crossing these notional boundaries breaking the code as it were and the kind of the, 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 there's a little bit of an element of fear but also the exhilaration of 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 and the freedom that that brings with it and something for me as you're talking that kind of the lure of the open road in in wonderful the book i wrote is i started with with that lyric i am the wanderer and th- and it's interesting to see how threatened society can be by people that don't go in straight lines from home to work and that wandering uh, sort of Bedouin, I go where I want, is is super threatening, isn't it, to the kind of mm. the social norms?
1: Yeah, it is. The whole traveler movement became super threatening back in the days of Thatcher. Uh, and it was trashed at the Battle of the Beanfield by the cops that had just trashed the miners during the miners' strike. Yeah. It was the most violent thing ever. And decades later, the the Guardian published a speech that Thatcher never gave at the Brighton conference because the IRA bombed it. And in it, she was going to name the unions and the travelers as the biggest threat to our democracy. Uh, but she couldn't yeah. do that after the IRA bombed her conference, of course. Yeah, yeah. Just go, just go back to your first point, I think um, one of the feelings I had as, as a younger person was that we, we were born into this country, into this world with... With nothing, we had no right to land, no, no right to live anywhere. Uh, we had no land that we might grow our food on. You know, we're disconnected from that. And a term I learned in my 20s from a good friend was new radical dispossessed. And we had been dispossessed. We are dispossessed, actually, by the system of wealth, uh, uh, wealth maintenance. You know, the money stays with the people that have money uh, quite, quite typically. And, uh, and the rest of us are kind of uh, cogs in the wheel.
0: You, you're, you're yeah, oh, yes. Now, what's interesting about you, for those uh, listeners who don't know, is that you. I think you used the firm the, the phrase "you dropped back in" or something like that. I was I listening to oh. another interview. Precisely but like, that. Yeah, tell us about that because you are a, um, You also really know the world of wealth from the inside, and um, in a very, in my view, very admirable way. But talk about that if you would.
1: Yeah, that was a decision I took in 1991. I'd been 10 years on the road and I was living on a hill, uh, temporarily, you know, parked up on a hill outside of Stroud with a little windmill on my roof. And <laughs> uh, and so I knew wherever I went, if it was windy or not, because I could see the meter for the incoming power and the meter for the outgoing power to run my lights. Um, and I knew it was windy. I saw the first big wind farm built in Cornwall. I went and, and had a look and chatted to the farmer, 1991, Delibole. And um and I thought that I could I could live another ten years of this low impact lifestyle myself, or I could drop back in and try and make a, a bigger difference, build a big windmill on this hill, and uh, yeah, just try and create create more change that way. And uh, and that's what I decided to do. It was like an epiphany, really. It was a kind of really um, big turning point, and and it definitely was about dropping back in because I had actually definitely dropped out and sure. I took a conscious decision to get back in and and work from within to bring change.
0: Mm. Mm. It's an inspiring story because you did it really well. I I work a lot with businesses and um, uh, you know, bring creativity into business. And you know, what nothing makes them sit up and take notice more than a success. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's one thing arguing for something, and you're you know you're you're living on a shoestring. But but you made a real. From my my perspective, you made a real success of of um, of this uh, this this adventure into alternative power uh, with eco electricity I will just say we're not with electricity but we'd like to be I just mm. checked with my wife before we came on and we're with a, a different company who are, but, but we think we'll change just so you know <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's cool that's cool Look, I made a conscious decision at the beginning of this adventure uh, I figured there were two ways to approach green energy which is what I wanted to bring to people. Um, there was the charity model, where I would have conversations along the lines of, look, it's a good thing to do, and I need your money. Yeah. Or there was the business model, where the yeah. conversation would be very different. Uh, it would be a business-like proposition. It is a good thing to do, and you know, it's not going to cost you any money. Uh, any more money because at that time uh, back in uh, when we got started selling green electricity in 1996 we were the first company in the world to sell green electricity and we were able to price match brown electricity and and so from the get-go we we had the ability to make a very business-like proposition and and it seems obvious to me that the way to get real traction for the environment cause for sustainability is for it to become a business opportunity or at least to be business like, so that there's not a cost. We're not presenting something to somebody or to everybody as a, a good thing to do, an altruistic thing to do, but it's going to cost you money or you have to give some things up. It's not that at all. And the moment we achieve that in any given field, like electric cars, for example, or green energy, then suddenly it takes off.
0: I'm going to hand over to you. What does it mean to you, green populism, Are you, you know, does it excite you still? Tell us about it. Uh,
1: I guess ultimately it's a presentational issue. It's about changing how we talk about the same things, just talking about them in a different way, in a way that uh, will reach people, actually, and engage them better than, let's say, the conventional environmentalist way of uh, communicating which is too often about doom and gloom and catastrophe and things happening on a global scale. They make people feel powerless and a little bit hopeless. And at the same time, the presentation of living a green life, the things that we need to do, is made to feel like we're asking people to give up uh, the way they live. to give up uh, life quality, Uh, you know, I mean, at the extreme end, you'll hear people on social media saying, oh, you want us all to live in caves, you know, and that's the extreme end of the spectrum. But there are lots of people that feel uh, that they're being asked to give stuff up, like it's a life of denial to live zero carbon sustainably, that kind of stuff. And so it's really important that we change that narrative. And we, uh, we engage people and we show them that actually living a green life is uh, is at least as good. It's actually better. You, there are lots of examples in that, like plant based food is it makes you feel better. You'll live longer and healthier. Electric cars are superb. They are better than the fossil fuel equivalents, for example. That's not about giving anything up. Uh, green energy, you can't tell the difference. You know, you, you flick a switch, it comes mm. on. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is, we've got to get away from this. Altruism first approach that says it's all about polar bears and melting ice and people somewhere else in the world, and actually come back to the people in this country that we're asking to change their lives and say, This is actually about you, our economy. It's about green, sustainable jobs. It's about having a stronger economy that supports our people better and in the process doesn't create pollution of the air, the land, and the water. And then fighting the climate change or the climate crisis, rather, just becomes uh, a happy byproduct, you know, and also ran.
0: You, uh, the, the listeners can't see you. I, I can. And I feel like I want to vote for you. I've, <laughs> show me. I've just been dated today's voting election day and oh, I've just yeah. been putting my, my cross on the ground. But uh, just let me know and I'll be putting a cross by your name. Um, I mean, Thank I you. get it. Looking at you and listening to you, I'm suddenly excited. You know, it feels doable. And one yeah. thing that's also amazing about you, if I may say, is you've got, I often feel you need models to follow. Once you've got a bit, a little bit like, you know, like him or not, Musk, when, when he thought, let's, let's do a sexy electric car, it did create a kind of model that people could then follow. I think, you know, very few originals like yourself, I suspect. A lot of people are followers. And things like, I'm not a great f- football fan, uh, I'll be honest. Um, but you can't not look at Forest Green Rovers and, and, and not, you can't look at them and go and not think that is bloody amazing. Tell us about that. I, are you still involved with those guys? How does that how does that work?
1: Yeah, we've just got promoted uh, this season to League One, which is the third level of football in England, uh, just below the championship. Amazing, and, you know, amazing. Yeah, it is quite an achievement because we are the smallest football club ever to be in that league. And... Um, it started as a rescue mission in 2010, it was my local football club, and uh, I, I didn't um, I didn't want to ever run a football club, it never crossed my mind, uh, but I helped these guys out with a little bit of money that summer, and then at the end of the summer they said, look, uh, you need to take responsibility for the whole club, because if not, it's going to fold, and I really didn't want to, but it was 120 years old, big part of this community in my backyard, and I am a football fan, I play football, uh, I watch England, support England uh, as an adult, and, uh, and I thought, how hard can it be? And I didn't put any more thought into that, uh, into it than that. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't look forward beyond, I'll just rescue the club. And then on day one of being in charge of the football club, I found we were serving red meat to the players uh, and I got the manager and the chef together and we, we agreed to stop it on that day. The son called it a red meat ban, which was fantastic. We <laughs> leaned into that, uh, that infamy that they created for us and, and day by day i just bumped into a whole series of things that had to change in terms of uh, environment in terms of ethics and all all principles really and then i i suppose within a couple of weeks had realized that all of the changes i had to make to bring forest green into alignment with the ecotricity group would result in creating a green football club something that hadn't been done before and that we would be communicating to a very different and arguably difficult audience the world of football fans and, you know, that appealed to me that we wouldn't be um, preaching to the choir uh, because that, you know, that's a challenge worth having. There is no point preaching in your own bubble. You know, we've yeah. got to get out and reach other people. And uh, yeah, so, you know, after that, um, the rest, as they say, is history. We uh, we we were contacted by the UN uh, who, who liked what we were doing and uh, were thinking of creating a global version of that really called the Sport for Climate Action Program in the end. Uh, We're we're founding signatories. We went carbon neutral under a UN scheme in 2018, I think it was, Mm. first sports club in the world to do that. Um, We've done all kinds of things, but we found that football is the most incredible platform for reaching people. Football fans, sports fans, Mm. our fans have really embraced the whole green agenda. It's quite incredible and Mm. and quite um, unexpected, I would say.
0: So you set off into this, as you say, with a kind of intuitive, it sounds like an intuitive, well, let's do this. And then you discover what it is.
1: Go ahead. I was going to say, never intuitive. Um, Well, I say never, but no, this one wasn't intuitive. It was like rescue the club. And then, oh shit, we've got to change like everything. And then it's like, okay, (laughs) I can see what that will make us become, a green football club. And look, this audience won't be easy. So, So that was appealing. And then we just got on and done it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot in what you say. So I'm curious about your—I uh, don't want to sound too wanky, but is, do you have a process? I mean, how do you you, you 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 drop back in, set up a highly successful alternative energy company, you—you buy a—you t- you buy a club, and you—and and you're making that successful. You don't seem cocky to me, but you seem like you get on and do it. Do you? Does your mind work differently than other people's? This is not what most people are doing. Most people are complaining or gozing. <laughs> yeah i think
1: my mind does work differently to other people i see things differently i I react to things differently no doubt about that and i do like getting on and doing things and you know 20 years ago if you'd have asked me what's the best way to bring change is it through business or through politics i would have said business absolutely uh politics is like a waste of life you know um and it was the right decision at the right time because um It was important to create the business case for sustainability to show that it was possible to do all of these things differently and that they were businesses, they weren't charities. Uh, And that job's been done. And now I think that politics is more important than business because business is adopting the environment. Uh, Sometimes it's for shallow reasons, like to look good, but that doesn't matter. That never matters because it's a step down the path. But behind all of that, there are good, solid business reasons because people increasingly, and they're the customers of business, they want stuff to change. They want to see responsibility taken. So that tidal wave of change is underway. But what we've got uh, missing is politicians that get it and policies that can get us there. And, and so, yeah, twenty years ago, what I held to be true is no longer true. Uh, the mm. business case has been made. That revolution mm. is underway, and now we need a political one.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't. They say from from your mouth to God's ears. We certainly need it. I mean, I, I'm somebody that spends a lot of time listening to people talking about leadership and their leadership pro- programs and leaders. And you think, well, where are the leaders? You know, and where are the people that are willing to go in the other direction than the, than the crowd and stuff? I mean, um, you've led things. Any, any ideas about, have you got any golden rules about that, how to lead something and make it successful?
1: Well, I don't think so. Maybe only the ones that I've gained by experience. And, yeah. and I guess I, you know, I don't have a, a market test for that because I've never done it differently, uh, yeah. if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just run here an and open culture. We have a, a one-page eco uh, ethos that we share with everybody that joins us. And um, it talks about how we want our people to treat other people, whether it's uh, our fellow workers, our customers, our suppliers. It's it's always the same. It's peer-to-peer relationships in all cases. Yeah. It's about honesty yeah. and openness, admitting mistakes when they're made so that we can fix them and move on uh, in a, you know, a non-judgmental way. And um, it's that basic... Kind of treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself. Kind of approach across mm. the board, and mm. we also have a one-page environment policy, which is also brilliantly s- simple. I think you know, uh, which says we're not going to do any of these things, and in any conflict between the environment and money, the environment wins every time. That's our simple principle.
0: Help me. I, I'm, I come from background. I've got in, is in film, and um, I'm thinking of the film of. of, of Dale's life and there's a sort of um, montage sequence between him in the in the Bender fast forward to you in the like, I guess the boardroom what did you do to get at such speed from if you like outside being outside being very free being in you know, a very sort of carefree if you like to you know successfully in the boardroom what, what what how did you do that what would the montage look like if we were to watch it
1: well, we don't have a boardroom. Um, well, there's that.
0: <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> so I've adopted, uh, I would say, consciously, the best elements of business because business has uh, good tools. Business has a focus on delivering things, on efficiency and that kind of stuff. Where business falls over is often in its purpose, its founding purpose is to make money. And that's a mistake. And then the drive for efficiency can cause decisions that harm people or harm the environment, for example. So in our case, uh, we are we are motivated by the mission. We're driven by the mission. We do make money, but the, we make money in order to deliver our mission. We don't have shareholders, we're not for dividend. Um, and the way I like to express that best is that old kind of question. I don't know if it's an adage or a question or quite what it is, but it, do you live to eat or do you eat to live? Yeah, yeah. And we eat to live. And conventional business lives to eat. And that's a mistake. Yeah. So I think there are bad aspects of business. I hate it when people say, but they try to justify an immoral or amoral act by saying, oh, it's not personal, it's just business. That's bullshit. That is. That's yeah, just yeah, an yeah. excuse for bad behavior. Yeah. And and I, don't, and I don't like that. But um, you know, I, I wanted to say one other thing as well. It kind of touched on um, something you mentioned before. And I forgot to say, I think it's really important to do something before you talk about it prove it, do it. And then when you talk about it, you've got a standing um, to persuade other people to then pick that up themselves. And, and, you know, there are two ways to bring change in the world. One is to do it yourself, necessarily limited by what one person can do. And the other is to be the catalyst for other people. And again, it comes back to do it first, show other people you can become a catalyst and other people will follow you. And then you create much more change that way.
0: Any, not really advice, but are there any things that people can practice, almost like a daily practice that helps you, Dale, see life from a different angle or uh, appreciate small things or, you know, any, not necessarily advice, but just practices that you could share?
1: I think you've got to get off the hamster wheel, really, to to make big changes to life and give you the chance to experience things very different to the norm. Uh, The uh, the pandemic helped a lot of people get off the hamster wheel and I think it's caused a lot of people to change their approach to life and to work and to stuff like that. I thought you were going to ask me what my advice would be for people to pursue a greener lifestyle. So I'm just going to add that one if I may. Please because we're bombarded by competing messages about the things we should and shouldn't do. And it's easy to understand why people feel a little bit uh, helpless in the face of that and confused. We have a very simple cut through approach. There are three things that between them account for 80% of everybody's carbon footprint and general unsustainability. It's energy transport and food. It's about how we power our homes, how we travel and what we eat. And these are things we all spend money on every day. If we choose to spend that money on a greener option, where we can, I know that not everybody can, but if we choose that, that sends a very big signal to businesses who are picking this up like nobody's business right now and changing what they do, adapting to what people want. Yeah. Uh, and the government then picks that up from business. And you know, these three sectors of our, of our society uh, are the main players, business, government, and people. And we have much more power than we realize because we are ultimately... I hate the word, but we're the consumers of everything that's produced. We're the we're the people that drive demand and our money gets to decide which way the world goes around.
0: So I don't know about you, but I think Dale's gonna change the world. And he makes me feel like I can too. And one of the things about him is I don't know if you noticed, but there's a sort of there's a sort of rebelliousness, if I may put it that way that runs through dale's work there's a kind of challenging of the rules a breaking of the rules and i think sometimes i don't know about you but but the rules are ones we impose on ourselves. so taking that idea of of constructive rule breaking um, this is wonderful and as you know we end our podcast with a little exercise a little experience where we can take an idea from our speaker and play with it So here's what I'd love you to do for the next 10 minutes. I'm gonna gonna, gonna ask you to see if you can find a way to slow right down. Some of you may know this exercise from Street Wisdom, but it's basically keep walking wherever you are, but slow right down. So if if you're moving your legs, you move them really slowly. If you turn your head, you turn it slowly. You get the idea. If you blink, you blink slowly. When you breathe, maybe lengthen the gap between the breaths, yeah? basically what you're doing is you're commanding your body to slow right down. Now the world's going to carry on its own speed, whether it's cars or walkers or emails or mobile phones, it'll carry on around you at its own speed. But notice what happens, notice what changes when you choose to to break the rule if you like, to break the rule of how fast we should all be going. See what happens when you do that, so it's very simple, just going to take a moment now to. To slow, right down. That's it. I'll see you in about ten minutes. Yes, yeah, so wanderers all. How was that? How was that? You know, I've done that exercise so many times and every time it reveals something new. So for me, uh, there's quite a lot of nature about, green nature, that's to say. And when I started to slow right down, it, it seemed to be that I was going at nature's speed. It was almost saying to me, yeah, yeah, come, come to us, come at our speed. It felt like nature is, 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 is a nice slow beat that's going through life. But then I realized uh, there were birds and dogs and other things and actually there are many different like tempos I've, I've got a musical background um, and I was thinking yeah there's, there's this slow beat but also um, there's a beauty in the fast as well it isn't just slow is good but fast is good and the other, the, other, the other thought and I suppose I suddenly thought like oh I could choose different tempos just like, just like you could in a piece of music I can be quick for a bit and then I can slow right down. I think a lot of us get stuck, right, in one rhythm. And it runs through our lives, it runs through every day, and it can be really exhausting. And, um, you know, these lovely passers-by that are just passing by, they've got their rhythm, you can hear that. And the little dog is, it's interesting to start analysing the world around you in terms of of the pulse temper the other thing I don't know if anyone got this as well is that if you chose to slow right down and other people can see you did any of you have the same feeling that I did even after having done this many years of oh dear I look really stupid they're thinking who is this person and I found myself doing that. a guy walked past and in that micro moment of sort of sussing each other out I, I had this imagination that he might have thought of me as a threat Because there's this you know there's a six foot five five bloke walking slowly in a circle in front of him and so i flashed a smile as if to say i'm you know i'm not a threat but all of that all of that is imagination i actually don't know what he's thinking he may not even be looking at me but did anyone else get that sense of there's a voice in your head that says oh no 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 obey the rules fit in and then you won't be threatening to others And if so, maybe take a note of that's your voice, not theirs. And thinking about someone like Dale, what's so inspiring about him is he seems not to worry too much (laughs) about what other people are thinking. In fact, I would suspect that Dale would anticipate that what he's doing will cause people to think he's crazy or he shouldn't do that. Because if you're not doing that, you're you're not breaking the rules. And the rules currently, explicit or implicit are taking us into a pretty difficult place. So we need new rules and it needs to be us that sets them, which is the whole reason for Wonderful being here. It is inviting us all off the well-trodden path into the undergrowth to find new things, generate new ideas, get creative, find better ways. So thank you for spending this time with us. I really look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of Wonderful. And uh, I might even get the title right, Wonderful. Well, it is wonderful as well. I mean, until then, stay wiggly. Bye!
1: You can find out more about these mindful walking techniques at streetwisdom.org, a global non profit founded by David Pearl. Street Wisdom is an everyday creative practice you use as you walk to help you unblock your mind to find clarity and inspiration. Why not follow us at streetwisdom underscore for free guided in-person and online workshops? You got it. Walking workshops. You can also download our audio guides on Spotify. Just search for Street Wisdom. Happy wandering.